Hi, everybody. I'm Art Stevens, your host for the PR Masters podcast series. And today's podcast is number, I believe, number 63. And as managing partner of the Stevens Group, which facilitates PR agency and digital interactive firm acquisitions, I am personally eagerly looking forward to chatting with our PR master of today, Barbara Hunter. Now, if the word legend applies to anybody at all in the world of public relations, it truly applies to Barbara Hunter. There isn't much that Barbara has not done in our industry. She was the founder and CEO of Hunter Public Relations, a New York firm, from March 1989 to December 2000. Barbara is now retired, but the firm continues as Hunter, currently with more than 200 staff members. Barbara Hunter was formerly president of Dudley Anderson Yutze, one of the earliest public relations firms, which was founded in 1908, and she joined DAY as an account executive in February 1956 after some earlier experience as a staff member of Food Field Reporter, a trade publication for the food industry. After two of her partners passed away, Barbara and her sister Jean Schoonover bought out the remaining partner and grew the business 500% in the next 12 years. And when DAY was acquired by the advertising agency Ogilvy & Mather in 1983, she became vice chairman of its public relations department. She left Ogilvy at the end of 1988, and she was joined by two partners and formed Hunter McKenzie Cooper in March of 1989. McElhenney Company, maker of Tabasco sauce, was its first client. As I understand it, I think it is still a client of uh, Hunter, even to this day. Barbara can comment on that in a little while. But when the two partners departed, Barbara continued the firm as Hunter Public Relations until 2000, when she sold it to five of her top staff members. And today, the firm is headed by Grace Leong, who uh, worked with Barbara for a number of years. And uh, Grace, of course, has also been one of our PR masters. Barbara was the 1984 National President of the Public Relations Society of America. And before that, she was president of the New York chapter. She's a member of the PRSA College of Fellows and is a former trustee of the Institute for Public Relations Research and Education. Barbara has gotten a whole load of awards, including presidential citations from PRSA itself. She's gotten the John Hill Award from the New York chapter and the 1993 Gold Anvil Award from the National Society, which is its highest honor. Barbara was born in Westport, New York, on July 14, 1927, the daughter of Dr. Walter and Hilder Way. And she attended the Westport Central School and was valedictorian of her graduating class in 1945. Barbara Hunter has had an illustrious career, and her name has been synonymous all these years with quality, client service, and pioneering. There's a lot of things that I'd like to talk to Barbara about, but first of all, Barbara, I'd like to welcome you. Welcome to PR Masters Podcast Series, and how are you today? I'm just fine, thank you, Art. Well, Thank you for joining us, really. I am, I'm very, very grateful, and so are our listeners. You know, Barbara, you're, you are really a true pioneer. You're a pioneer, you're a heroine, you're a role model. Tell us how you decided on public relations as your career. What was it like when you started? Well, it was uh, um, almost accidental. Uh, I had been uh, a staff member on Food Field Reporter, but I wasn't earning very much money, and my sister 
Jean Schoonover found out that National Dairy Products Corporation was looking for someone to do some publicity for its seal test products, and the salary was much better than what I was making. So I applied for the job, and I got it. And uh, so that was my beginning. It was as a publicist, and I publicized the um, the seal test circus, which was produced in Philadelphia, and also doing food publicity for seal test products. Um, I left that after two years because I had married and and I became pregnant, and uh, I left. And they said, "Well, we'll hold your job for you, and you can come back." And so, in about uh, three weeks or so, I came back, but my job had been filled. And uh, you know, I don't think that could happen today, but it did then. Um, so then I uh, uh, joined a firm called Sally Dixon Associates and was there for two or three years. And then uh, DAY was looking for uh, an account executive. And uh, my sister convinced, who had gone to DAY, convinced them that they should interview me. And uh, so they did, and they decided that they would uh, forego the nepotism situation and uh, it was interesting that Jean and I kept very separate uh, accounts and so on. And even the telephone operator didn't know that we were sisters for several years. Anyway, that was my start. And once I got to DAY, I just loved the field and uh, have had a great career in it. Just a side question. How many, I know that you and your sister worked together for a long, how many years did you work together, actually? Um, from... 1956, well, we were in the same uh, agency, and then in 1969, we took it over, and we uh, we sold it, uh, and basically, uh, we worked together until 1983, when we sold it to Ogilvy, and even then, we worked for about five years more together. Oh, wow. So it was a long association. So it sounds like roughly, roughly like 40 years, something like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Wow, wow. To work with one sibling for that long, I can't imagine working with my sibling for that long. <laughs> we we got along just great. And uh, uh, she was seven years older than I, and so she uh-huh. had the administrative uh, uh, work to do, and I, I was the uh, head of the client work. Mm-hmm. Well, a nice a nice division of labor is is all I can say, and obviously a very successful one. Yeah. So, what was DIY best known for? And it goes back to 1908. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that obviously is pro- probably had as long a run as any agency ever, maybe the best. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah. What was it doing? But what you know, when you you and your sister joined them, what had it been doing, and and how did you change it to what it became? Well, um, DAY had three partners. Um, Mr. Dudley, who founded the uh, company in 1908, uh, and then Tom Utsi and George Anderson. Utsi was head of a, I guess you'd call it a business division, which did uh, corporate work and so on. And George Anderson headed up the consumer division, mostly uh, food. And uh, so it was almost like two different companies, uh, which were sort of loosely joined together. And uh, when uh, Pendleton Dudley and Tom Utsi 
died, uh, George Anderson and Nutsi's uh, widow, she decided to offer it to uh, uh, like top people in the firm who were vice presidents. And after many discussions and things, my sister and I didn't feel that there was any plan for how this agency was going to be run or who would run it. So we decided to make an offer to uh, George Anderson to buy out his share. And uh, he agreed. And so that's what happened. And we offered uh, the opportunity for anyone in the firm to join with us in uh, in a new, a new company. And uh, the food division certainly came along with us, but many of the uh, men, particularly in the other division, didn't want to work for women, and so they left and took their clients with them. So that's how we got started at DA, at, by owning DAY. Yeah. But then you kind of changed its basic niche. I guess you, you got it into food and beverage, as, as I recall well, correctly. Yes. yes, that was our start, was the whole food and beverage client that we had. And uh, um, we uh, certainly concentrated on that. We had kind of a slogan is that we know about women and so on. But gradually, um, we entered into other fields and so on. And we would be invited to... Uh, uh, make a pitch for a client because they wanted to bring in an agency headed by women. And one uh, PR director of a company told us that actually uh, we had no possibility of winning the account, but they wanted to say they'd uh, heard from a firm that was headed by women. So that's what we were kind of up against sometimes. Yeah, tell us about the, those days. You know, obviously. A lot has changed. There are more and more women in, in fact, there, there are more women in public relations industry today than there are men. Right. And a lot yep. of agencies, of course, are led by women, but that was not the case. Were there any other firms, to your best of your recollection, that were headed by women when you and, uh, and your sister took over DAY? Um, I don't know exactly. Like there was Amelia Lobson, I remember, and I don't know when she started her firm, but I, I do remember a couple of things. One, going to a, a PR luncheon at the Waldorf, a PRSA luncheon, and there would be 200 men and maybe 10 women, mm-hmm. and uh, which was, you know, very telling. And the other thing is that at one point in our early years, um, somebody did a, a, a survey of who were the top PR firms in the field, and we were the only one headed by women in the top 25. And so that was wow. quite an accomplishment by then. Wow. Yeah, I mean, one of my questions to you was uh, what's, what's changed on the agency side since you got into it? And obviously that's, that's one major change that's taken place, the role of women in the public yeah. relations profession. What other changes have you seen you know, since, well, since you got the into whole, the agency the world? Whole, the whole Internet and computer uh, that, those weren't around when we started, uh, so that has drastically changed the whole field. Well, it certainly has. It certainly has, you know. But then again, you know, you're, uh, Bob, your contributions to the to the public relations profession are really indelible. What do you personally see as some of your most important contributions to the industry, to client service, and so on? 
Well, I I think um, our contribution, and I'm going to say with my sister and I in the beginning, was to prove that um, women could run a business that formerly had been pretty much all male. And uh, I I think that that was one of the biggest contributions. And uh, early on, there were many agencies uh, in in that you know that we're headed by women, and I think too that um, the, the reason that we were successful and that uh, Hunter has been successful with the uh, the culture of the company that we um, established. Uh, uh, we we tried to hire good people and treat them well, and uh, you know give them accolades when they did a good job, uh, pay them well. When we took over DAY, for example, we found that uh, men were making much, much more than the women were for the same level of service, account executives, account supervisors, and so on. So we brought that up to an equality, and we did have some men in the company, uh, but from that time forward, if you had a certain position, you had a equality of pay, so... Uh, I think wow. that was very important. Wow, that that was certainly a a milestone effort on your part to do that. That's really interesting. So that that's one element. So if you knew then when you joined DAY and took it over, if you knew then what you know now, what else would you change? What else what might you have changed? You know, given your present knowledge. Uh, well. Um, I'm not sure I can really say DAY was a wonderful place to work. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was offered a partial ownership in another firm if I would come back and work there. And I turned it down because I I was enjoying my work uh, at DAY. And it was a, a culture that um, really uh, allowed people to do their best work. And... Uh, um, I, I mean, I can't point to any one thing that I contributed to the field. I, I mean, I, um, I, I guess just being one of the successful women was uh, a role model, basically. Well, if I recall, didn't you sort of pioneer the use of like test kitchens in the work that you did? Well, that that was already there. Um, oh, it George was already Anderson. there. Okay. Yes, uh, had uh, put in a, a, a major test kitchen with four home economists and so on, which gave us a, a terrific leg up in the food field because everything we sent out, if it was a recipe or any food information, was checked by home economists before it went out so that the food writers knew that what they were getting from us had been tested and would work so that they could rely on what we were sending them. That was an amazing capability. I mean, uh, I'm not sure if anybody else uh, actually uh, made that effort, maybe later years perhaps, but I think you, you know, DAY, even if it, if it was done prior to your being there, if they did that, that was a unique way of uh, consolidating the quality of your work, wasn't it? Yep. Yes, and we continued it, yes. That's right. Um, so, you know, under your leadership, Barbara, the role of consumer product public relations has truly matured and blossomed, certainly in the food and beverage area. 
What do you feel, you know, aside from a test kitchen, what do you feel with the other elements of uh, effective consumer product public relations that you either carried over or pioneered? Well, one thing was to provide truthful, basic information about a client or product that the media could use. Um, we would create situations to make news, events. Um, we had possible tie-ins with uh, nonprofit organizations that needed visibility. Uh, we celebrated anniversaries, any event that we could seize upon. But I think that the, the basic thing was to be a reliable source, one that, that food writers could trust. And also, effort. We had a lot of industries in those early days, like the, the banana industry, the uh, uh, fresh fruit and vegetable industry, the canners industry, and we would uh, take um, food writers on tours uh, so that they could actually see how this industry worked. The Idaho Potato Commission was one of them, uh, and so that they got a firsthand knowledge of what our client was about, and I think that that's extremely important. By the way, as a very quick aside, Barbara, I, you and I have birthdays three days apart, just so you know. Mine is oh. July 17. Oh, well, I'll be sure. <laughs> so I'll, happy I'll drink a toast to you, and you can drink a toast to me around yours is July 14th, and mine is July 17th. Okay. It's <laughs> a deal, all right? It's a deal. Yep. <laughs> You know, Barbara, at one point you made very big news in the PR world by selling your agency to Ogilvy & Mather. Uh, then subsequently you left and started a new agency. I'm interested in that because, as you probably know, you know, I'm after I sold my agency, which, by the way, did include Amelia Lopesense, you know, until she, she passed away, but Lopesense-Stevens until, you know, we, we right. sold Lopesense-Stevens to, uh, to publishers. You know, I went through that experience, and uh, obviously, I'm now doing facilitating of mergers and acquisitions. So, which is you know, which is something I've been doing for the last number of years. Tell me about your experience in selling your firm and then leaving or starting a new agency, and and then of course after that became you know Hunter Public Relations. What made you decide to sell your agency in the first place? Well, um, as I said, my sister is seven years older and she wanted to retire and she wanted to get her money out of the the firm. So that was the basic reason uh, why we decided to sell. And uh, our we had a very good friend in Bill Phillips who was uh, at that time chairman of Ogilvy and Mather and he made us a good offer and uh, uh, so we accepted it. And uh, I had the rather difficult job of consolidating what was the existing Ogilvy and Mather PR department with our firm because their uh, their culture was entirely different. And some of their men left again because they didn't want women to be heading up um, the division, and uh, and some stayed with us. But after about five years, and we had, I think, five very pleasant years with Ogilvy and Mather, Bill retired, and there was an, a new chairman, and he um, bought another firm, which did specialize in mergers and acquisitions, 
and made the the uh, head of that firm the head of the public relations division. And one day, uh, I don't remember the date, probably, you know, because I don't want to. Um, he <laughs> asked Jean and me for a meeting at two o'clock, and so we met him in the conference room, and he said, "Well." Uh, as of now, you are not running this division anymore. Uh, you can continue to be vice presidents of Ogilvy and Mather, but you're not running the division, and I'm bringing in uh, somebody else uh, to do that, and you need to have a staff meeting at 4 o'clock and inform them of this. And uh, I thought that was a pretty rude thing to do, and I, I guess it was because we were too female, uh, too old and too well paid, maybe I don't know, but because the uh, the business had been doing well, there was nothing wrong with that. Um, anyway, um, I stayed on for a, a little while, but he brought in someone, and I won't mention. In fact, I can't even remember his name, but I I had no respect for him, and he, for example, referred to our McElhenney Company clients as country bunkers, and they're some of the most sophisticated people that I ever encountered. And, uh, so it just was not uh, somebody I wanted to work for. And uh, so I'm, I guess there was another person in the firm who was talking to me about leaving and starting a new firm. And uh, at that time, I also had a friend who was the PR person for an oil company in Chicago who wanted to move to New York. And so he was interested in joining. So we had a meeting one day and uh, the three of us decided to start a company and that was called Hunter McKenzie Cooper. And uh, we got a small office at uh, 41 Madison Avenue and uh, got some secondhand furniture and, and started the business. Um, in subsequent years, um, the uh, corporate PR person decided the agency business was not for him. He was not comfortable in the agency business and went back. He had uh, an offer from another oil company, and he went back to doing a, a corporate work. And uh, so we then became Hunter McKenzie, and then... Uh, Mackenzie became unhappy with her situation and was um, trying to form another company. And, uh, of course, I didn't go for that, and so I bought her out. And so then I owned the company myself. And I had put in more money than either of the partners, so I was a senior partner in the company. Um, and so we went on, and I had, you know, Grace Leon was like our second employee, so she had been with the company right from the beginning, except for maybe one year. And uh, um, we we did very well, so that was how that happened. And obviously the Hunter name continues to this day, you know, under the management of Grace and, and her senior yeah. her senior partners. You must yep. be very proud of her. I mean, Grace is well respected, of course, in the industry, you know, as are you, naturally. But yep. obviously, Hunter has grown even more so in the last, you know, 10 years or so. 
And, oh, uh, much, it is much now more. really truly a powerhouse, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And Grace was one year out of a, um, school of college when we hired her. So she's been with the company for like 33 years. And oh, there are wow. a couple of other um, senior executives uh, who have been there um, I, that I hired and who have been there. And I, that's one thing that I was really quite proud of, the fact that uh, I did hire good people who were um, very well qualified and who wanted to work hard, and uh, we, we had a great time. So what did you look for in hiring, uh, you know, what you call a good person? What were, the, what were the elements that you looked for in, you know, their character, their style, their personality, and obviously their basic skills? Yeah, well, of course, the basic skills are one thing. They had to have um, experience. I mean, we did hire some people at the uh, lower level that, that were new to the field. But I think um, it was their attitude and uh, um, how they presented themselves, uh, whether they were willing to move into a new situation and uh for instance, um, John Lyon, who is, I think, executive vice president, um, in his interview, he had such experience with both uh, fine wines and food and was very interested in it and had a good sense of humor. And I just thought, wow, there is somebody that we get along real well with the mental honey company. And uh, so, you know, I, I tried to find... Um, traces of things that I thought would, would fit well in our company. And uh, I, I think I was pretty successful with that. Well, you, you, you certainly have been. You know, since you've been in the industry a while, you've obviously come across, you know, some of the great names in, in, in our industry. Who were some of your friends and heroes during the time period that you got into public relations initially and then, you know, with DAY and, and through the first, you know, number of years, there were some great names. And who are your heroes and who are your pals during that time period? <laughs> well, you know, Jean Schoonover was my mentor and advisor, my sister, uh, from the time I left high school, really. And, uh, and we really worked so well together. But um, I certainly had great respect and admiration for Harold Burson and how he ran his business. Um, I had met John Hill, and I knew Bill Durbin and some of the people at Hill and Knowlton. And um, some of the uh, um, uh, people at Lever Brothers were quite instrumental, Bert Hockman and Jane Creel and so on. But um, I don't know. I... I uh, I didn't have too many people from the outside that were uh, influential in our business. I mean, we, uh, Gene and I had a lot of discussions. We didn't always agree, but we would hash things out. We would check with our employees if that was necessary. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, I, when, I, when I became active in the public relations society, I I met a lot of people, and that was one of the things that um, I would urge any entry, entry person to do because it, uh, PRSA really broadened our horizons because we had been so concentrated 
in the food industry and in consumer relations, but uh, people like uh, uh, Judas Bogart and, um, you know, a lot of people in other fields and so on that became good friends, and and, uh, I learned from them. You know, uh, while all of this was going on, uh, Barbara, you you were – you got married and you raised two daughters and at the same time you managed a, a very significant enterprise. This is of course a lesson for uh, today's women as well. Uh, but how are you able to balance both your day job with your home job? Well, uh, frankly, it wasn't easy. And uh, in the first few years I was very lucky because I managed to hire uh, a Swiss lady who had been a governess and I I had my daughters were eight years apart because I lost one in the middle and uh, and she became like a she and her husband became like a second family for my older daughter and uh, had Kim had a great time with them and I didn't worry because she was wonderful but when I was in the hospital with my second child she decided she did not want to be involved with a, a new baby. She couldn't have children herself and left while I was in the hospital. So that was very difficult, and it was hard on my older daughter as well. Um, and we went through a number of people. One time I came back from a, a trip for a client, and uh, I called the office, and they said, well, your children are fine but your uh, caregiver is in Bellevue. She was kind of off her rocker. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know it. Off but the rocker. children are fine, yes. <laughs> anyway, but we finally did get someone who, uh, again, became a, a steady uh, person for our family, and so that, that was uh, greatly resolved. And also my husband, in his circumstance, um, was not a big career man, and so uh, eventually he uh, spent more time at home and was just wonderful with helping to raise uh, our daughters. Yeah. Well, I think you have demonstrated that you, in many ways, could do it all, you know, and have a the proper balance between the, both of your lives, your home life and, of course, in, and your career life. Yeah. Question about how you've been spending your time. I know you've been out of the agency field for a while, but I have the opportunity and the honor to see you at some of the industry functions for periodically. Um, I think the last one was at PRSA New York. But uh, yeah. how, how are you spending your time these days, Barbara? You have always been so busy. I know you volunteer a lot of your time and always have, and you're on the stump very often, you know, giving uh, mentoring and and, – and, uh, Well, not, uh, not so much, yeah. Yeah. Um, we did uh, quite a bit of travel – Initially, when when I retired, there were a lot of places we wanted to go, but um, and we had a house in Point of Woods on Fire Island um, that we oh, had. Okay. Yeah, Austin's family had a, a house there since 1922, and oh, wow. uh, we we acquired. Uh, they had a larger house, and when we were married, they they sold it and bought a bungalow, and so we took over the bungalow and that was our our go-to place on weekends and for vacations and so on and uh, 
I had been on the board of the association, which owned all the land in the community. And uh, when I retired, uh, I was elected uh, president of the association and the first woman to hold that that role. And uh, it was it took a lot of time. I had to have board meetings, and I had moved to uh, New Hampshire, so I had to go to New York to. Uh, uh, have the board meetings and so on. And uh, I combined that with my tickets to the Metropolitan Opera. So I'd go to the opera one night and hold a board meeting the next. <laughs> nice combination. <laughs> yes, right. And uh, so I did that for four years. And uh, and then um, when I uh, was in Walpole, I was uh, invited to be on the board of the Walpole Historical Society. So I was on that board for several years and then uh, became president of it for one year. And uh, I think that was enough. And I decided that uh, uh, I'd had enough of volunteering and so on. And uh, so since then, I have pretty much, uh, I have good friends. I have a bridge group. I have uh, a knitting group that we meet under our yellowwood tree in the yard <laughs> and enjoy the outdoors. And I have a book group, uh, which meets at the library. And so I, uh, you know, I keep busy and, uh, um, you know, I have a lot of good friends here. Oh, that's great. That's great. I just have a couple more questions for you, Barbara. Uh, you've been great, you know, and I thank you for your candor, you know, and your insights as well. But, you know, you've accomplished a great deal in your career. There's no question about that. We, we in public relations know of you. We all know of you and know what you have done and what, what you have contributed. What do you feel personally have been the proudest moments of your life? Well, I think one of them was um, getting the gold anvil. Uh, that was really a, a big highlight. Uh, you know, another one, and this may seem odd, but uh, when uh, General Foods was celebrating the 100th anniversary of Jell-O, this was a big deal to them, and they invited uh, all the uh, many of the major agencies to present programs for that. And uh, we, uh, you know, put in a lot of effort to uh, come up with what we thought was a use of their wonderful culture and so on. We were the last to present, and uh, afterward they said, "Please stay for a while." And so we sat outside for maybe uh, a half an hour. And finally, someone came out, and they said, "Won't you come in?" And they told us that we had won the business, but we couldn't tell anybody until they had a chance. From all the other agencies that it presented. Oh wow, wow! <laughs> and that was that, that has that to be a proud moment, <laughs> without question. Yeah. yeah, wasn't it fun winning winning new accounts? I mean, uh, that that was yes. something I got a great deal of pleasure out of. You know, when you compete vigorously and you wanted something, and and you somehow managed to get that new piece of business. You know, and you you, you right. brought out the champagne or whatever. How did you? How did you feel about winning business, and how did you feel about competing for business? Well, we we competed a lot. We spent a lot of time, and the uh, the company we have always put a great emphasis on brainstorming and bringing in our staff members to 
uh, talk things over and, and come up with ideas and so on with no negative uh, vibes. And, and I believe that they they still do this. Uh, even when I was there, we had brainstorm sessions every week. And it, it didn't, depending on whether we had a, a project to brainstorm about or whether we didn't, but we wanted to stimulate the creative uh, juices, I guess you'd call it, and uh, came up with a lot of wonderful things that were very successful. Well, they obviously were successful because, Barbara Hunter, you are indeed a PR master and you are a legend in our industry, and I thank you so much, so very much for joining us today. This was a wonderful conversation, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Well, I did, Art, and I knew I would enjoy talking with you. And, uh, you know, uh, I I don't think I'm really qualified right now to, uh, you know, put up and so on. But anyway, it's wonderful to talk to you. Well, you have shed a lot of light on your career and also the era in which you excelled and the uh, contributions you have made. So, Barbara Hunter, thank you so much for joining us today. And I'd like to thank everyone else who joined in today and listened to every word that Barbara has uh, uttered and uh, hope that it has given you all, you know, some insight into what it takes to become a PR master. And uh, if you've learned anything at all from Barbara Hunter today, it, you know, it's keep working hard, be kind to your people, do great work for your clients or your company, and the ladder will be climbed by you. So I thank you all for joining us today. See you another time on PR Masters Podcast. So this is Art Stevens signing off, and thank you for listening.